We find ourselves this evening in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. Follow along as I read, and then we will pray. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. An appropriate passage for Father's Day. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come this evening, we once again thank you for your love, for your care, for the work that you have done so that we might be children of God. We are still amazed by that. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing so that we look like children of God. With that in mind, as we open your word tonight, we would ask that you would open our hearts and our minds that we might understand uh, to the extent of your love for us in uh, in assuring us of the eternal life that you have given us. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You'll notice on the notes, Life in the Spirit, Part 3, the Spirit confirms our adoption. Uh, the wonderful thing about studying the Word of God to prepare messages like this is, once again, you come to the conclusion that biblically, theologically, there is no reason why we should doubt salvation, what God has done, what He's doing. There's, there's no way that we can be separated. We're going to see that by the end of this chapter But uh, when you start to understand the things that he's done, it's kind of like, hey, if you belong to him, you can be at peace. You don't have to worry. So let's take a look at that. First of all, letter A, led by the Spirit. This is the uh, first confirmation that the Spirit gives us. So it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit. The word led there is ago, to lead, to bring, to drive, to go, to pass time, to induce, to bring forth, uh, to carry, etc. You'll notice uh, some of those words are, are not... When we think of someone leading, we think of uh, people that are willing to follow. Um, probably a better understanding here is the idea of leading a horse. Know what I mean? The horse doesn't follow you because he thinks you're handsome. The horse follows you because you've got a, a halter attached to him and you've got the lines. You see what I'm saying? Well, that's the idea here. Notice, to lead, to bring. Okay, when we think of leading and the, someone following, they're not bringing you, you're going with them. Uh, or uh, to drive, uh, to bring forth, to carry, to keep, to lead away, to be open. Uh, this verb is found in the uh, present passive indicative tense. Uh, present means it's ongoing. Passive means it's happening to you. Indicative is uh, uh, okay. Notice it indicates that uh, that which already exists, and it does not indicate uninterrupted. Otherwise, the New Testament admonitions would be meaningless. Uh, So the Spirit of God is leading you. It doesn't mean that you can't interrupt that. Uh, Temptation comes in. You believe a lie. Uh, You're not going to be following the Spirit's lead every moment. If that were true, there'd be no reason for the New Testament to say, hey, be uh, sober-minded, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about as roaring lion. See what I'm saying? 
So that's the idea here, that uh, he is already leading you, and uh, it can be interrupted, but that interruption is just that. It's an interruption. It's not something that can sever that leading. So how the Spirit leads. First of all, by illumination. In uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 44 and 45, it says, And then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scripture. So that's the concept of illumination, opening their understanding so they might uh, understand the Scripture. Notice, uh, clarification of God's Word, giving understanding, 1 Corinthians two fourteen to 16 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges or discerns all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now again, the unbeliever, it's not that he can't understand the simple truths of the Word of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many people come in for benevolent help and they understand nobody's perfect? Right? Yes? No? Okay, I've got one possible agreement here. Okay, you guys are going to have to participate a little bit better in this. Uh, (laughs) uh, Everyone's willing to admit nobody's perfect, but they don't see their sin as being offensive, an attack on God, if you will. Uh, So they understand the concept, but it doesn't bring uh, the understanding That's the idea there of the natural man does not understand. He's not able to. He doesn't have the Spirit of God illuminating. Of course, uh, the Spirit leads by using the Word of God to convict us of sin. James, uh, I mean, excuse me, 1 John 1, 9. uh, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In uh, Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I wouldn't have known unless the law said, Thou shalt not covet that it was a problem. But when I saw the law, and then I realized I'm coveting all over the place, then I realized. So uh, the Word of God is used to convict us of sin, or the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. Uh, The Spirit of God teaches all things. John 14, 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Uh, So he teaches us. Uh, The more time we spend in the Word of God, the more the Spirit of God enlightens our eyes, so we kind of see two plus two equals... Very good. Uh, We have a star student right up here in the front. Uh, It equals four. Uh, but does the average unbeliever come to those conclusions? Uh, watching a video a little while back of a progressive pastor that was explaining how Jesus, being a man, uh, had racial tendencies like anybody else. Racist tendencies, sorry about that. And uh, he was um, talking to the woman from Sidonia, or some of your versions say a Canaanite woman, and uh, she had come and asked for healing for her daughter. And he said, it is not right to give the children's food to the dogs. 
See, he was a racist. She rebuked him. She said, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall off the table. And he repented. So he healed her daughter. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like an unbeliever reading his theology into the Word of God instead of understanding what it was saying. Jesus, when he came, he came to the house of Israel. Why? Because that's God's chosen people. He was trying to bring them to a repentant attitude towards God. Uh, But of course, that didn't work. Did he not minister to Gentiles? Sure he did. But if she was a Canaanite woman, what did God think about the Canaanites? Let's go back to the Old Testament. Uh, did not have a great appreciation for them. So since he had come to minister to the children of Israel, for a Canaanite woman to come up and ask for something, I'm not in that stage of my ministry. Right now I'm ministering to the Israelites. That's all he was really saying. And she was saying, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but it overflows a little bit. And her great faith, believing that God was gracious like that, allowed him to do what she had asked. But here was an unbeliever, and and I will go so far as to say, unbeliever, progressive Christianity. They don't believe the Word of God is the Word of God. They don't Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus was God. So I have no problem putting him in that uh, realm. So uh, the Spirit of God teaches us all things. It also, the Spirit of God also reveals the knowledge of God. Let me read a few verses for you here. Ephesians 1, 17 and 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. Ephesians three sixteen to 19 that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His, uh, through his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then Colossians 1.9. For this reason we also, since the day that we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So the Spirit of God reveals the knowledge of God. Not only who He is, what He's like, but what He has for you in that day-to-day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Okay, so uh, another way that the Spirit leads is by sanctification. Second Thessalonians 2.13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, beloved brethren, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Or First Peter 1.2, Elect, or chosen, if you will, same concept, same word, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, 
grace to you and peace be multiplied to you. So uh, through sanctification, the Spirit leads us. Notice he divinely assists in obeying God's word. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do... And, and I don't know... I feel as though I always have to emphasize, look, if Jesus says, without him, you can do nothing, and we all know that we can do plenty of things walking in the flesh, can't we? I mean, if you're halfway intelligent, you can develop a lesson from the Word of God in the flesh. concept of being in the flesh there is just not walking in dependence upon God. There are plenty of people that do it in ministry, in the pulpit. I remember when I first got saved, there was a guy that uh, he had uh, been a Methodist pastor, and uh, somewhere in the rush he got saved. And he would talk to me about the messages that he prepared, and he goes, you know, here I was just using my intellectual ability and uh, study, uh, study notes from commentaries and stuff like that, and I look back at some of those messages, and I'm just amazed that God used me even when I wasn't saved because I was just studying and trying to figure out how to do it. But notice, he wasn't even saved. Whole point being is he could prepare a message. He could teach the message. Did it have any eternal value for him? He wasn't saved. Of course not. Now, that doesn't mean that God didn't use the word that went forth and uh, bring about a change in someone's life or something like that. But once he got saved, he realized, you know, I can't continue to do this. Uh, whether or not he ever got back into the ministry, I'm not sure. But uh, whole point being was he recognized that it was only because of what God had been doing through an unsaved person that anything in his messages was any good. And here we get saved and... I know I did when I was younger in my spiritual life, uh, prepared all kinds of lessons, taught them. And it's not that I wasn't teaching truth, but there wasn't a lot of dependence upon God. There was dependence upon my ability, my intellect, my uh, ability to communicate. And that has no eternal value. Without me, you can uh, do nothing. Or Romans 8.13, which we uh, talked about last week. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So it's again by the Spirit that we're able to do those things. Divine, he divinely assists in obeying God's Word. He also empowers us to glorify God. Now, I've got a bunch of verses here, but let me just look at James. Uh, Galatians 5, 16 and 17, walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ephesians 5, 18 through 33, this is the be filled with the Spirit, and everything after that is what it looks like when you're filled with the Spirit. You speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. You're submitting yourselves one to another in everything you're giving thanks. Wives are submissive to their own husbands. Husbands love their wives, etc., etc., etc. Actually, you can go into chapter 6 and see fathers uh, teaching and admonishing their children, children obeying the father, uh, uh, employees or slaves obeying their masters, masters understanding they have a master, so they want to be careful how they do things. But let's just look at uh, James 1, uh, 18 through 22. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. 
So he saved us by the word of God. Okay, that, that's basically what that says. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of God, man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, in the context, there's been a trial. And you may have looked to God for wisdom and gotten through that trial. Hallelujah. You may have responded in the flesh and fallen on your face. God's trying to show you something about yourself in that failure. So every man should be uh, slow to speak, right? Quick to hear. What's God trying to tell you? Slow to speak. Stop complaining. Stop justifying yourself. Slow to wrath. Well, you know, God, if you didn't put that person in my life, I wouldn't have responded like that. Stop it. You're not fulfilling the righteousness of God when you do that. Then he goes on to say, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Again, the idea is you will have seen something that God was trying to show you and you're to put that off and how how do you replace it? With the implanted word, okay? Which is able to save your souls. And then it goes on to say, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Uh, So whole point being there is uh, the Spirit of God through sanctification empowers us to glorify God. So as we're in the Word and we recognize our need for Him, He uh, fulfills that, uh, filling us with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, etc., to change us and make us more like Christ. He goes, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Uh, Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, Again, amazing to me that uh, in my 40 years of being saved now, how quick we revert back to some set of rules and regulations that if you do these things, you're okay with God. When God specifically says, look, you're a new creature. I've got my spirit in you. I've written my law on your heart. I've given you a new heart, a new spirit. Now, walk with me. Forget all the rules. Forget. We're, not, we're not talking about not obeying God's law to love Him and love our neighbor. We're saying we're not judging spirituality by whether or not you have your hair a certain length or, or certain kinds of clothes on or, or something like that. Uh, so, uh, but the church even does that. Uh, Israel obviously did that. Um, and so it is one of those things where uh, we need to understand, as sons of God, we are not under the law. So that brings us to letter B. Life in the Spirit, part three, the Spirit confirms our adoption by giving us access to, that's not good, it's access to God. Sorry about that. My finger jumped up and down once or twice too many times. So we're given access to God by the Spirit. This is the second confirmation in verse 15. He goes on to say, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us. Think about that for just a minute. The spirit of this world would have you be concerned about all kinds of things that are not your concern. The spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit, lets you know, hey, you have access to God. 
He gives you, he, he lets you know what you have in Christ, not just uh, what you think you need, that kind of thing. Uh, so, Notice it starts by freeing us from slavery. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Uh, Galatians 4, 3 and 9 says, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Remember what I just said about in 40 years of being saved, I've seen where the church tries to put itself back under some kind of regulations. If you, if you wear the right clothes, if you, you know, I've been wearing sneakers uh, in church for a long time now. And I know that the people that I first got, when I first got saved, those people would be having a heart attack because you're supposed to wear nice shoes. These are nice sneakers. They're a whole lot more comfortable. <laughs> okay? There, there is no law of God. Thou shalt wear leather hard-soled shoes. So why do we get caught up in those kinds of things? Somehow it is within us to want to put ourselves back into slavery. And it says here, we've been freed from slavery. We don't have this spirit of uh, bondage again to fear. Uh, as far as that led, uh, slavery leads to fear, uh, notice you have the fear of death. Hebrews... Uh, Two, oh, I skipped Second Timothy, Second uh, Peter two nineteen. You can look that one up yourself. Hebrews two fourteen and fifteen. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Notice how fear leads to bondage. Bondage leads to fear. I remember uh, when I lived with my mother and my stepfather, so I was younger than 16. I woke up with the hot sweats and I was trembling and I was just afraid of death. And uh, I immediately prayed and asked God to tell me when I was going to die. By the way, he told me when I was 88. Uh, it was a good number that stuck in my head, but uh, I'm sure that was not the voice of the Lord. <laughs> that was just someone trying to relieve me of a little bit of anxiety. Uh, but uh, the reality is, is a few years later, here I am reading a chick track and seeing this was your life, that, that particular track. And when I got done reading that track, can I tell you, I was afraid not of physical death, of dying and standing before the Lord and giving an account for the life that I had lived to that point. And so I got out my Bible and I did the spiritual finger routine. I put it right down and I landed on Isaiah 59 too, which says, God has turned his face away from you because of your sin. Can I tell you my finger was more spiritual than I have been for some years of my salvation? Because that was so true at that time. Uh, God wasn't looking at me and saying, oh, good guy. No, I was a lost sinner on my way to hell. And God used fear of condemnation, fear of death uh, to bring me around. 
Still took a little while. But of course, that brings us to number two, uh, fear of judgment. First John 4, 17 and 18. Now, he is talking to believers in this passage, and believers struggle with this also, but it is a, a truth about unbelievers. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And again, uh, though he's talking to believers, the reason why they don't need to be afraid of the judgment seat of Christ, the reality is, is unbelievers are afraid of dying. Uh, Even when they say, I don't believe in God. Do you want to test that? Of course they don't. They don't want to die right now because they know there is a God. They know they haven't lived the way they should live. They can't. They don't know that. Uh, but the reality is, is they're in bondage to that. One of the things that, and I know people get all hung up about this, but you know these last two years, um, too many Believers, and I'm not doubting their salvation, I'm just saying, too many people have been afraid of dying from COVID. The reality is, is God's numbered your days, Psalm 139, right? And you're not leaving here a day before he takes you out. And you're not staying a day after. Whole point being is, I don't need to fear COVID. I need to fear the Lord. And that is a reverential respect that causes me to walk with him. Because when I'm not walking with him, now i got a reason to be afraid, <laughs> okay? So um, that's really what we should be concentrating on as believers because we have not been given the spirit of bondage again to fear. It goes on, but you have to receive the spirit of adoption. Uh, Galatians uh, 4, 5, and 6 says, to redeem those who are under the law that he might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Or 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, So we have been given the spirit of adoption um, notice Paul's emphasis here is assurance, not adoption. Now, we're going to spend a little time talking about adoption, but what Paul is trying to say is, look, you have the spirit of adoption living in you. You can be assured that you're saved. He, he already said that in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Um, let me go back there for just a moment. He says, Uh, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So here he is trying to assure these people of salvation based on what? They have the Spirit of adoption in them. So that's Paul's emphasis. Notice, through regeneration by the Holy Spirit, we are not only adopted as children of God, we are given the Spirit of adoption. This is a major thing when you think about 
uh, what the Spirit's ministry is as a down payment, which we'll talk about in just a moment. So that brings us to adoption. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Okay, now adoption. Well, let's take a look here. It's, uh, adoption is filled with the ideas of love, grace, compassion, and an intimate relationship. As some of you know, I uh, had some time in foster homes. The foster home didn't like boys. You can imagine they never wanted to do it, adopt me. <laughs> um, the second foster home, when we misbehaved, you know those cold air grates that are on the floor? They made us kneel on those. Let me see. Love, grace, compassion, intimate relationship. Nope. Uh, some things went on in that foster home that ultimately put us back in the first foster home. Where they didn't make us kneel on cold air grates, but we normally went to bed around 5.30, and we were allowed in one portion of the house. We were not allowed in the rest of the house. We could go upstairs to our bedroom when the time came, but we got to be in the playroom. Uh, occasionally, we would be able to eat at the dining room table, but that's fostering. Adoption, on the other hand, uh, I don't know how many of you all know, a family used to go to church here uh, years back. Uh, he was a major in the Air Force. His last name was Payne. So he was a major Payne. I mean, uh, he was major Payne, not a major Payne. Um, but uh, he, he and his wife, they had several children, and uh, their daughter is single to this day, and yet she chose to become a foster parent. And recently had a big thing on Facebook and Instagram. She adopted that little girl. Now, the little girl was a preteen at the, when they started, and I think she's actually 14 or 15 now. Uh, whole point being is that young lady learned to love, and so did the foster child, learned to love the other uh, young lady as a parent. Uh, and so there was grace, there was compassion, there was an intimate relationship. And, and that's what we get when we talk about uh, adoption. Number two here, taking the responsibility for one who is not your biological child. That's the idea of adoption here. Legally, the child attains all the rights and privileges of a member of the family. It is interesting that while this uh, little girl was a foster child, whenever they had pictures of activities they were involved in, her face was all blurred out because they didn't have the right to show that picture. Adoption came. Boom. There's that little girl. Kind of like, Okay, cool. Uh, and of course, obviously, it's more than just being able to show their picture on Facebook or Instagram. Now that girl is like she is that woman's daughter. And uh, so if anything happens to that woman, uh, that young lady gets to inherit her mother's uh, stuff, that kind of thing. Uh, biblical examples. Well, first of all, we have Moses in Exodus 2, verses 1 to 10. Pharaoh's daughter exhibited pity and compassion. Uh, did Pharaoh's daughter not know that he was a Hebrew and that her dad had said, you, you need to kill all these kids? She knew all that, 
but she had compassion and had pity on him, and she adopted him. Esther, in chapter 2 of the book of Esther, verses 5 to 11, Mordecai loved Esther, and this is something more than just prompted by family duty. He actually grew to love her as his own daughter. And then, of course, in 2 Samuel 9, 1 to 13, you have Mephibosheth, uh, on Thursday nights, uh, the guys uh, that study Bible with me, uh, we're in the book of Nehemiah, and in Nehemiah there are all kinds of names. And I can imagine these guys trying to pronounce Mephibosheth because they have a hard time with a Hashuerus. Uh, but Mephibosheth, his name means, oh, well, let me uh, start out with, David sought out Mephibosheth, the grandson of King Saul, the one who repeatedly tried to kill him, uh, he sought him out so that he might eat at his table. Uh, poor English in my notes there. You'll uh, have to understand that. Mephibosheth's name means a shameful thing. And he had lived in Debar, which means the barren land. Now, if this isn't a picture of us before salvation, before salvation, we are a shameful thing, and we lived in a barren land. Now, we may have lived in Illinois, Missouri, Connecticut in my case. doesn't matter uh, what state it was. Spiritually, we were in a barren land. And uh, what did David do for Mephibosheth? He granted Mephibosheth, there we go, an inheritance to which he no longer was legally entitled. He got to eat at the king's uh, table. He got all of his grandfather's land back and all of his uh, grandfather's uh, uh, things. So this is a picture of our adoption. First of all, God seeks us as unworthy sinners. I love it when I meet people that don't think they sin. Uh, I saw a video here recently of a guy that said, you know, if I die and get to heaven, God has to let me in or else uh, he's a racist or, or some stupid thing like that. Kind of like, wow, can you believe these people? But uh, what does Romans 3, uh, 10 to 12 say? As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. They have all gone out of the way. Together they have become unprofitable. There is none that seeks after God. There is none that does good. No, not one. And I might have forgotten one of the phrases in there, uh, but you can see where we are unworthy sinners. Uh, notice God initiates all that is necessary so that we may be saved by faith. Um, apparently, uh, uh, KSIV, I believe it is, uh, 99.1. Uh, they don't have Rick Warren at lunchtime anymore, which is why I found 89.3, because I didn't care for uh, his preaching. That's my personal taste. If you like him, that's fine. Uh, but they don't have him anymore. They put on some other guy, Lynn was telling me, and this guy was just really emphasizing the concept of free will when it comes to salvation. What can a dead person do? We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were at enmity against God. If God didn't initiate through His grace uh, the whole situation, guess where we would be today? Dead in our sins and trespasses. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. 
That includes the faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. When I'm talking to people in benevolence, I sit there and say, look, I got one of these really nice Chuck Wood pens. I go, if I were going to give you this pen as a free gift, what would you have to do to get it? The dishes need to be washed at my house. 99 point some odd percent of the people tell me, well, I guess I'd have to wash the dishes. Excuse me gift. Yeah, you have to believe and receive. And uh, that's a foreign concept because of our fallen nature wants to somehow do something. And uh, we as believers sometimes uh, don't even catch that point. It is God that initiates. And then notice, he makes us his children. Isaiah 56, 5, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a better name than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Or 2 Corinthians 6, 18, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Whole point being, he makes us his children. And then because of adoption, we share in the full inheritance of his son. And again, Isaiah 56, 5, I just read, uh, Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Ephesians 1.11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 14 of Ephesians 1, who is the guarantee, that's the Spirit of God, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. The redemption happens when this mortal puts on immortality, when this corrupted puts on incorruptibility. So until that time, he is the guarantee uh, of our salvation. Uh, to the praise of his glory. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Uh, Colossians 3.24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance uh, for you serve the Lord Christ. Hebrews 9, there's a couple more verses there. I could read them all, but you get the idea. Not only has he made us his children, but because of adoption, we share in the full inheritance of his son. And it goes on to say, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. <coughs> Excuse me. Notice, when you're adopted, it's not as though you're a second-class citizen. Can I, can I say, through the examples that I gave you about foster parenting, uh, there are those who foster, and again, we're not talking about Restore Network, okay? These are Christian people that recognize that there is the need to show that love and compassion in a fostering situation because they're hoping ultimately they'd be able to get back with their parents. But if not, of course, some of them have gone on to adopt. But in the world, in fostering, 
you're kind of like someone that lives at their home. You're not part of the family. You're a second-class member uh, in some cases in the world. Uh, again, uh, if you look at families uh, like uh, the Cardis here, uh, they don't seem to treat any of their kids that way. Um, so whole point being is adoption doesn't make someone a second-class family member. Uh, when Paul is writing this, he is dealing with the understanding of his day. So in the Roman culture, an adopted child could have more prestige and privilege than a natural son. And you sit there and say, Huh? Well, the father's rule was absolute in the family. If he was dissatisfied with a natural son's skill, character, or other attribute, he could seek out a boy with the uh, desired attribute and adopt him. If you had a son that was a mess up, you could sit there and say, yeah, I can't do much about that, but I can go find someone that's not. Okay? Um, At the father's death... Um, the, the adopted son would inherit the father's title, the major part of the estate. The other son would be taken care of, but he wouldn't get the major part. And he would become the pri- primary progenitor of the family name. So his children would inherit the next thing, not the real son's children. All because this guy was a mess up and he went and found someone that wasn't going to be a mess up. That kind of a thing. Roman adoption included severing the legal and social relationships with his natural family, permanently placing him in his new family. Now, when I say permanently, I mean that just that. Uh, there was no adopting someone and then saying, this guy's a mess up too. I'm getting rid of him. Nope, can't do that. He has become part of your family and you're stuck with him through this adoption situation. Okay, Uh, It also includes all previous debts were eradicated as if they never existed. And again, you can see where Paul, talking about Roman culture, is perfectly explaining what uh, Jesus did on the cross for us. Uh, First of all, our our previous uh, social relationships. We were children of wrath. Okay? Eliminated. Okay? Okay. if you your natural family, if you're saved and they're not, uh, this spiritual family becomes number one. It's not that you don't love them. It's not that you don't witness to them or something like that. But this is what's really important over here. Uh, permanently placing them in his new family, the Spirit of God baptizes you into the body of Christ, seals you there until the day of redemption. Uh, all previous debts are eradicated. Hey, for us, not only the previous debts, but the ones that God knew we were going to be doing throughout our lives because a little hard-headed sometimes, don't always listen to the truth. Um, There would be several reputable witnesses to the transaction to testify in case of an objection to the father's will. So the father dies, and the natural son comes along and says, whoa, wait a minute. I'm the natural son. I get precedence. And these other witnesses would sit there and say, nope, sorry, you don't got that. Well, do we have natural, uh, do we have reputable witnesses to the transaction? Let me see. You have the Spirit of God living in you. You have the angels of heaven watching God transform you into uh, one that looks like Jesus Christ. 
You have the work of sanctification. All of these things are reputable witnesses uh, in you. So, And then notice, because of his immeasurably gracious work, our relationship has changed to where we can call him Abba, Father. Again, the word Abba there is an Aramaic term for daddy or father. One could literally say father, but uh, it, it's more intimate than that. Uh, it's the idea of daddy. Uh, it connotes intimacy, tenderness, dependence, complete lack of fear or anxiety. Got a call this afternoon from Joseph, and it was a FaceTime call. So he's got his two little girls sitting there on his lap, and uh, Leah says, Hey, Papa, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is with Leah, but every time she sees me, Papa, I love you. That's the idea here. Okay, we get to call him Daddy. And uh, it, it connotes intimacy, tenderness, dependence. I don't know about you, but I don't know how many years I spent worrying about what God was thinking about this or that instead of just trusting him and learning to walk with him. Because the reality is, is yeah, it's not as though he's pleased when I sin, but it's already been taken care of. So what's he do? Try and get me to come back and deal with him and, and walk with him. That, that's what he's doing. And we here we are running away from God thinking, oh man, God's mad. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. No, there's no reason to because he's daddy. Daddy loves me. And uh, yes, Daddy corrects, but that's okay. And that brings us to verse 16. We're assured by the Spirit. This is the third confirmation. Uh, number one, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Uh, this is not some mystical thing where, whoo, Spirit kind of let me know I belong to Him. No, no. This, again, is based on God's Word. So first of all, we have Romans 8 9. Uh, he lives in us. In fact, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you are not His, it says. Uh, he is the down payment, or if you will, the guarantee of our salvation. Uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty two. Also, uh, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee or as a down payment. First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Uh, Ephesians 1.13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then uh, Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the paperwork has been written up, it's all filled in, it's rolled up, and the wax has been melted, and the Holy Spirit seals it. And it's guaranteed until the one who owns it opens that seal, you are secure because the Spirit of God is that guarantee. And of course, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. How? Through the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit... Uh, when I was going to Bible college, uh, the financial aid director asked me to fill out this scholarship uh, application. 
and it was one that was named after some evangelist. And uh, within this application, they felt as though the fruit of the Spirit was you winning other people to Christ. And I don't have a problem with the concept of that is some of the fruit of the Spirit, but that was the only fruit that mattered. So as I'm filling it out, you know, how many people did you lead to Christ this week? Uh, nobody. I'm up in the middle of the Adirondacks, and we're not allowed to go out and talk to just anybody all the time. You know, we got Bible study and stuff like that. Uh, so neither, needless to say, I did not get that scholarship. But whole point being is when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, listen to a few of these verses here. Galatians 5, 23. Most of us recognize that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But, for cross-reference sake, in John 15, 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Romans 15, 14, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are, listen to this fruit here, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Well, goodness is a fruit of the Spirit, but so is wisdom. And if you're able to admonish one another, you have to have wisdom to know what we're talking about, how to handle that person, so on and so on. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God is love. If you have God, you are enabled to do these things. Ephesians 5, 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. If you go back and compare that to Galatians 5, 23, you have goodness in there. Uh, you don't have righteousness and you don't have truth. So there's more things. If, if truth is important to you, chances are that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of truth that has made that important to you. Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. And then, of course, uh, James 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And so you see that the Spirit uh, himself bears witness with our spirit by developing the fruit of the Spirit more than just the nine that are in Galatians 5, 23. And of course, if people see you living that fruit out, you may become fruitful in an evangelistic sense All uh, also. So the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And of course, that brings us to 1 John. For, I don't know about you, but if you spend some time in First John, you learn to really appreciate an awful lot of the things that he says. Let me give you a small sampling here. First John 3, 1 and 2, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now, are, uh, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3.10, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. How about uh, 1 John 3, 19 through 22? By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And notice, his commandments are not burdensome. And again, the only reason why they're not burdensome is because the Spirit of God empowers you to uh, divinely obey. Uh, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. (laughs) It goes on to say, Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. These people are children of God. Of God. So when we're understanding what God has done in the purchase of our salvation, in what He has done in us, and what He continues to do for us until the day that we see Him, there is no biblical theological reason why we, as children of God, should worry about our salvation. Our salvation, our, the assurance of our salvation comes as we walk with him. When we're not walking with him, you may have all kinds of doubts, and there may be reasons why you should have those doubts. But the reality is, is when you understand what God has done, you you return to him. You confess it. You deal with it. You get back to walking with him because he's done it all, and there's no concerns about our salvation. Any questions or thoughts? Let's close in a word of prayer. We'll let you go. Uh, see you Wednesday night. There are questions on the back table if you uh, haven't picked them up yet. Uh, read chapter 4. It's interesting. We're going to try a couple of different things on Wednesday night, but uh, between here and there, have a good God-honoring week. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Thank you for the work that you have done in purchasing our salvation, in opening our eyes to the salvation that was available as well as to the need for that salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the grace to uh, put faith in you. And then, Lord, the Spirit of God that has moved in, that indwells us, that fills us, that empowers us uh, to do as you desire. Father, we thank you that when we sin, uh, there is forgiveness. It's already been paid for. We ask, Lord, that you might continue to work in our hearts and minds and give us grace to learn to walk with you, that our light may shine in the midst of a dark and perverse generation, that they may know that you are God because of the work that you've done in us. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All righty. Have a good week.